Hello and welcome to the Ties Fundamental Value Podcast. Today's episode is super special. We organized this just a couple of hours ago, and it's our first video interview that we've ever done. Um, I'm joined by a good friend of mine and one of the top attorneys in the crypto space, George Pesak from Kroll and Mooring. Um, as many of you may have seen today, uh, there were a number of regulatory uh, rulings that came out uh, against BitMEX. Uh, looked like one of their executives is now in jail. You know, there was a ruling against Salt Lending this week. There was a ruling against Kin. I mean, there's just so much to unpack. And I thought, you know, time to do a timely episode, a casual episode with with George because he's got so much insight to share. So before we even get started, just want to, you know, say as per usual, you know, this is not investment advice, but also this is not legal uh, advice whatsoever. George has been nice enough to talk to us today on very short notice, just as you guys haven't spent you know, weeks parsing through documents that came out four hours ago. George doesn't have the time to do that either. Um, so, you know, this is going to be a bit off the cuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, if anything that George says interests you, definitely reach out to him. But yeah, so George, you know, thanks so much for, uh, you know, for doing, uh, for doing this. Yeah, look, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my head is still spinning from all, from all the, the news that's been coming out. So I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, not necessarily like you like you mentioned it, it may not be legal advice or uh, you, you shouldn't rely on it this is just more of a conversation because I, I love the space been thinking about it for a while a lot of the actions that are coming out now are against um, came out against companies that I've been following for multiple years right and um, we've all been wondering and bitmax man uh, open and talk about open and notorious um, so they finally got they finally got hit. We'll see. The allegations are pretty bad. So we'll see what what they're able to uh, what they're able to put together. You know, this is uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to having this discussion and I'd, let's see where it goes. Yeah. So before we even dive in, uh, you know, we love to give all of our guests to give us a little you know the opportunity to give a little background on themselves. So we'd love to hear your story a little bit, and then and then you know the question for everybody is just how you found yourself down the crypto rabbit hole, and and now you know. You know, being of counsel at, at you know a counsel at Crow and Mooring, uh, focused on uh, regulatory enforcement and blockchain and digital assets. Yeah, you know, uh, it, just like many people's stories that I've heard uh, in the crypto space, I, I uh, so early on into my legal career, very early, like my second year, I my I had a friend that I went to law school with, and we actually studied for the bar together. And now he's in the, he's pretty big in the crypto space. So shout out to him. You know who you are. <laughs> um, he, you know, so when we, when we were studying for the bar, he's telling me like, Hey, you, you really should look at this, uh, this Bitcoin. Uh, so I looked it up and I'm like, you know, so I just want to get back to studying. He, I look it up it, instantly. I get all these pop-ups about like, Oh, you can hire a hitman. You can buy drugs on Silk Road, but use Bitcoin. I was like, I'm studying for, I'm literally starting studying for the bar. I don't want to lose my license before I even get it. <laughs> So I was like, no thanks. Then time passes. He's really into it. He's in New York. He's he's at the Bitcoin uh, Center. He's working at day. Well, not getting paid, but he's working at it. <laughs> uh, and then fi then finally, he, uh, again, like a year later, he's like, hey, you remember that Bitcoin thing I told you about? Remember what the price was? It was like I don't remember the price, but it had like tripled since then. And he's like, you need to you need to buy. And also, here's you need to buy this Ethereum thing. So mind you, I'm still pretty fresh out of law school. Still trying to pay off my student loans. I put in is a couple of grand into it because I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. And then within a month, I've like doubled or tripled my money. Now I'm thinking I'm going to quit my job. This is what I'm going to do. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I'm 
I, I'm the, this is the best thing. You know, I'm Warren Buffett now, first. But then uh, reality set in, and I'm like, oh, I still have bills. I can't, I can't just quit because I, I don't have money to invest. <laughs> so, uh, but then I started, so I was already doing securities regulation and, for, and enforcement and compliance work. Uh, in this, and then I realized, you know, I started thinking about it. There's a lot of correlation here, and I'm pretty certain that the regulators are going to uh, have an issue with with this, right? These issuances. So I started moving my practice. Lo and behold, you know, after giving away a bunch of his time, my friend gets picked up to be the general counsel of a of an exchange. Uh, he remembered me. Started and we we started working together. Got great experience really early on. Haven't haven't looked back since. I've been in the space now for almost four years now. I can't believe it. So I'm like, I consider myself a veteran at this point. Um, but like I said, these are the case, the cases, the actions that came out this week uh, are cases that I've been following since I, since I got started because they're, they're big. Um, so yeah. So. so before we get into all the regulatory uh, craziness on this week, I want to first uh, touch on something that you described to me as a, as a carrot that the SEC gave out to the crypto industry. Uh, which was last Friday, the SEC issued a no action letter uh, ruling that or stating that it would not penalize uh, any broker dealers operating in ATS uh, that trade digital assets, uh, digital asset securities, uh, if they adhere to a specific set of new guidelines. So can you kind of give us a bit more detail about that ruling and what it means? Yeah, so uh, it, it, what the, the SEC did is it, it issued its first, its third uh, ever crypto no action relief, right? And what a no action relief is, it's, it's essentially the SEC saying that if you abide by these strict parameters or these facts presented in this scenario, uh, we won't recommend enforcement against you. In other words, we won't bring, we won't charge you with any violations of the securities laws. Um, and in, in, in this one, it was a fairly a fairly nuanced distinction that I was making. It's very important for ATSs and um, broker dealers, right? Because it, it, it's very pertinent to them. It limits their risk. And I think it makes the, the, the ATSs function a little bit better by um, cutting out one of the steps and making sure that the trades are more um, certain to, to, to be consummated. Uh, but, you know, so it, 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 it was definitely carried. It wasn't that exciting, right? That's the one thing. The crypto space has completely ruined me like i'm you know it's like uh I, I, i'm excited about big things now it's like you know it's like when my 401k goes up like five percent i'm like oh whatever but you know, <laughs> i could have made that in crypto in two hours um but so so again like this is this was a big deal it is positive it shows that the sec is willing to work with companies that are really uh trying to do the right thing under these circumstances because it isn't a whole new world right and uh everybody's trying to figure out what the best way forward is and the rules are kind of catching up as we as we move along so basically my my takeaway from that no action was the sec saying like hey guys we're still willing to play ball come talk to us uh we'll work with you so does that mean that um i'm, I'm no expert in this field by the way which everybody already knew but does <laughs> that mean that if you had a traditional broker dealer license you could also just list you know digital assets and there would be the sec is basically saying that's fine like is do you have to get oh. any specific bd licensing for because oh. I know there are different types of broker dealers. Like, what does that actually mean in terms of you know broker dealer licensing? Oh yeah, yeah, I know this. Uh, this this really doesn't touch on the licensing at all, right? So yeah, you you can be a broker dealer, but then an ATS is different. That's an alternate trading system that allows you to post bids and asks for of these digital securities. But even then, you could be an ATS that and not be authorized to do digital securities, right? So um, this doesn't. 
wholly separate. Whole, it, it, going down the wrong too, rabbit hole. Oh, or let's not go so down the wrong. rabbit hole. Yeah, comp- <laughs> you really showed that you're not an expert, Josh. <laughs> all right, I appreciate it. I appreciate no, it. No worries. So, so, all right. So, let's go back into questions that that we've pre-written that 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 I know are, are on the right direction. So, um, you know, you mentioned you know last week this was a carrot, um, but but now you know what the SEC and other regulators are doing is you know hitting these crypto companies on the head with a stick. Um, and so we saw the CFTC and DOJ come out against BitMEX today. Uh, the SEC come after SALT and KICK. The DOJ went after a Bitcoin exchange owner for racketeering and laundering. The CFTC charged a foreign trading platform for over-leveraged transactions. And even in the UK, the FCC went after this company that I've never heard of called Cryptonex. So right, right. why are we seeing all these enforcement actions happening over such a short period of time? Yeah, you know... Um uh, let me let me get out my magic ball. You know, look into what the what's behind all, all this. I, I really, you know, I, I really can't tell you. The only thing I could say is that these actions take a lot of time, right? For example, the the kick action has been uh, has been working its way through the courts for years, uh, and and finally it just so happened that we got a ruling on it, and that ruling was, I guess I guess you could say it was a little maybe there was hope there because I, the judge did come out and say you know when the Telegram case. Uh, when the Telegram ruling came out on the injunctive relief, uh, everybody was like, whoa, this is going to have a huge impact on the kick case that was happening in parallel. But then the judge comes out and says, no, you know, that was an injunctive relief. The motion before me is summary judgment. That's not a precedent for me. So it's like, I don't, I'm here on my own. I'm going to decide this and I'm going to um, set law by this. So we were kind of excited because, or the industry was a little bit excited because it's kind of like, what does that mean? Why would you even come out and say that? You know, it's like, uh, are you hinting at a positive result here? Uh, no, no, he was not. He was, he, was, uh, he came out, yeah, so he came out, uh, and ruled kind of, I mean, but was, was this surprising at all to you? No, no, yeah, no, I mean, no, I, I don't think so. I, it's, it's a kick, I, you know, I scratched my head on how those offerings were done, right? Because you have the, yeah, was, and, and I know we have so many other topics to talk about, so I'm sure. going to try to condense this one. But it, I, I scratched my head, and I would love it if somebody can explain to me, because um, it was great lawyers that really thought through the offering, at least for the first half, right, the, the, SAFT, the SAFT offering. They had a third-party uh, validated, verified that all the investors were accredited. They met all the requirements. The minute they finished the offering, they registered, and they, uh, they filed a Form D with the uh, SEC. And, and then the next day they did a public offering. So it's like, my, what's the point? And then the ruling kind of came out and said like, wow, it, it, it really didn't touch too much on the, on the SAFT, right? Because the argument there is like, wow, that's actually a, an exempt offering. The ruling focused on the follow-on offering, the pu- public offering to anybody. You didn't have to be accredited, you know? Right. So what the ruling said, well, was it said, that is definitely a securities offering, that open offering to anybody. Um, that was definitely a securities offering. And because it was so close in time and because you were issuing this or selling the same token as you did in the, in, in the SAF sale, we're just going to merge the two. We're just, you know, those are, those, we're going to integrate the two offerings. Therefore the whole thing, uh, violated the securities laws. Stay tuned because now, uh, you know, the, the two parties, the, the SEC and, and kick have to come in and present kind of their proposed settlement. Like what, essentially saying like, this is our punishment, right? They, they have to follow a joint statement saying what, what the punishment will be. So how, what the, the, the there, there, I'm still kind of hopeful that there, we can see some 
the SEC work with a company where, for example, the the filing said that Kick now has fifty seven apps that or uh, that use Kin, right? So it's not that they haven't built a network around it. It, it this thing should pres- arguably be let live essentially, right? So will the SEC come down hard and take it out, com- take Kin out completely, or will it allow it to live and offer some money back to the investors that are harmed and want it? I don't know. Well, stay tuned, right? So that's that's not a close case. The other one that you mentioned, Salt. Salt. I've been following Salt for a while. It's a it's a lending platform. It's a you know I have a kind of a close connection, and just because I was in, in the geo, in my one of my clients was in the same kind of geography as Salt. So I uh, I got wind of the SEC investigating them ever since like 2017. So I've been sitting back thinking, where is where's the, you know where, why haven't we heard anything? And again, here, so to, for me to see this now, uh, you know, this week, I was, that was big news to me. And interestingly, I feel like the SEC, if you look at the, if you look at the settlement, right, and settlements don't have the, the, the weight of rule of law, right? Like the, the kick, the kicks, uh, the kick summary judgment ruling, that's, that's huge, right? That's the furthest any one of these cases has gone against the SEC in a court ruling. That's precedent. That's going to, uh, other cases are going to cite to that case now, but you can't really cite to a settlement because it's kind of like, it, this is both parties agreed to this. It didn't necessarily rely on the law, right? Right. So with SALT, I feel like, I thought we had seen a change in the SEC with the way they were going to deal with these unregistered offerings because initially the SEC was saying, hey, if you did an unregistered offering, you have to do what's called a rescission offering. But the rescission offerings, you have to file this claim and you have to go through all this process and they just didn't work. Um, and the problem, they didn't work. And it's like there was a Wall Street Journal article saying like all the companies that had the rescission offerings uh, failed to meet the deadlines or whatever. So here, if you, if you read it, it seems like the SEC saying you kind of have to do a rescission offering. You have to let people who want their money back file a claim. But mind you, the offering was in 2017. And they're saying the only people that can file a claim is are the people that purchased from you, issuer, right? Who's who's still holding the the salt talk token if they uh if they purchase in 2017? I don't think there's going to be that many claims filed, but then that salt has to register the token. It has to go through all that process again. We'll see where that goes. You know, salt presumably is a is a is a successful company. I you know I haven't followed them that closely, but um, I think they have an interesting product, and I think again this is the SEC maybe saying like, hey, come into compliance. We'll work with you. Um, so again, that's another one where we'll see where that goes and how it turns out after they register the token, they have, they have an opportunity to unregister and essentially saying this is no longer a security. No, go, (laughs) go for it. No, I was, I I mean, a million (laughs) questions are popping in my head, but, 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 but please keep, well, feel feel free to stop me. I mean, I mean, honestly, this is just things that I've been thinking about throughout the day while I'm doing my day to day job. You know, it's like, like, like to me, I mean, the first thing is why does EOS get a $30 million settlement? And, yeah. and, and other token issuers like, like, you know, salt, the settlement is, you know, the refunding the full amount of ICO money. What's the, what's the difference there? Uh, you know, I, uh, I've, I've thought about that for a while and I, you know, because it's a, it's such an, it's such a good question. I think it is because right. So you're, because of the way this is developing, every settlement is important to review and, and try to distinguish from the prior settlements and see what you can glean from it. 
right. so that you you can see what what the SEC is telling you, right? Because that's what the SEC does. I mean, because to me, it felt like oh, the SEC just you know slapped the wrist a little bit on EOS's four billion dollar sale, thirty million bucks, whatever. It's a joke. But now yeah. here, it's like oh, it's the full amount of money that you raised during your ICO. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, but it's not a fine. I think that's also a difference too, because wasn't right. the EOS one a fine, and then this is refunding yeah. investors. Right, that's right. So they, they salt did get fined. It was two hundred fifty thousand. Right. Um, there was right. there was a penalty, but it's uh that that's besides the the claim process and the kind of I guess you could call it. I, I I'm thinking about it as like a rescission light. Right. Um, but with you know with EOS, it, that's oh by the way another interesting part about uh the 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 salt settlement is that if you notice the SEC didn't actually put out a uh, a press release on that one. That one was kind of you know, I, I'm sure Sig Dev caught it, but but it, it, there wasn't a it was, press release. So it was so hidden, si- yeah. It was yeah, so, so if you're signed up for uh, for the alerts for SEC enforcement, you wouldn't have gotten it, right? Uh, the news sources got it, but so I think that was that's something that's negotiated in these uh, in, in part of the settlement. This is what I'm saying. There's no prescribed kind of uh, outcome when it's right. a settlement. It's two parties just agreeing to something. So that was probably something that their counsel negotiated, saying we don't want that publicity. So um, so that was good. So again, they're they're uh, they're flexible. But with the EOS, you know, that that was a that's a good question. I get that all the time. I wrote a paper on it, trying to like dis, you know distinguish the two. I, you know, I, the only thing I can think of is it has to do with it has to do with the fact that EOS was a brand new company, so it really didn't to the beyond the white paper. What else was it going to disclose, right? Because the securities laws are the securities regulations are really a disclosure regime, meaning. We want to make sure that investors have all the information they need to make uh, an investment, an appropriate investment decision for them, right? So you can see a company like Kick, that was an already established company. It had a bunch of millions of users, no money, right? Because it wasn't selling data. This is what they wanted to do. All of a sudden, you want to issue a token. Well, hold on. You should probably tell these token purchasers that you have no money and you can, you know, like that, what, what's your plan? You know, there's more. Right. I mean, there was also that. just a plethora of evidence against kick in the CEO coming in and saying, Oh, we can easily raise a hundred million dollars and all this other kind of nonsense, I think as well. That, you know, that's a, that's a, yeah, but uh, that is a, that's a good point. So yeah. And once we're going to get into that with, with BitMEX too. And, uh, yeah, talk and about certain things talk, that yeah. they said, and I wonder if it's just, just, if you're going to do this, shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's, don't talk about what you're doing. Well, that's, you know, that's uh, good counsel will always tell you to do that. You know, make the phone call, get on your phone. Why, why are you sending this email? Um, it, it's, it's, it's going to be found, right? It's like you know, all these communications come up and then you have to explain them. It's, it, you know, it's um, don't, don't be braggadocious. Like I think let's just jump to BitMEX. No, I, yeah, I let's I get into it. Just, all right, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Yeah, so, let's do it. So let's start. Let's, I want to separate this into two. There was two things. The first was the CFTC and the second was the DOJ. So news broke this morning. Um, uh, you know, that the CFTC was charging BitMEX's owners with illegally operating a cryptocurrency derivatives trading platform. Can you give us a bit more background on what happened here and what your initial take is on the broader ramifications of the rolling? Yeah, so you know, so you're right. So there's there's two portions of this. There's the CFTC, which is civil, meaning they're going after money and penalties, and then there's the DOJ, which means they're going after your your time. They're gonna you know lock you up. Uh, so talking about the CFTC, CFTC has a bunch of rules, just like the SEC, right? The, the SEC uh, regulates securities offerings and 
securities platforms, and securities trading. Uh, the CFTC regulates uh, commodities, commodities trading, commodities platforms, and the derivatives offerings. Uh, one key difference is that it, the um, CFTC does not regulate the commodity spot market, meaning if I want to trade Bitcoin with you uh, over an exchange, they're not going to regulate that. But if I want to trade a futures based on Bitcoin, they, that's a derivative, so they will regulate that. The only time that they'll regulate the spot market is if there's fraud, right? So if I tell you, I don't, I don't know, I, I haven't thought about my fraud yet. So it's just fraud. <laughs> um, so the CFTC came out and essentially, essentially said, like, look, you guys violated all our rules. They said you should have registered as an FCM, uh, DCO, SF. You know, these, these, are, these are sophisticated entities that have, uh, some of them were established after Dodd-Frank, so to prevent kind of uh, financial industry from collapsing, right? From people being over collateralized, not having sufficient money to pay the debts that they're owed, and then that causes a trickle effect. So they, 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 these, these regulations serve a significant purpose. And in nowhere is it more obvious than when you have an entity like uh, BitMEX, where at least according to the allegations, have they have done trillions, I think it was like $11 trillion, the equivalent USD uh, value of trades. A in billion crypto. in, I, did they say a billion in fees for US consumers only? Was it a billion in fees overall? Oh man, I just Either saw a billion way, it was fees. Regardless. I, it, it, yeah. A billion yeah. in fees, good, good yeah. for you, right? Like, yeah. so it's, but it's that popular. They're, they're, you know, and, and, Bit, and BitMEX has been in the news. They, 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 it's not like they were just a no-name entity, right? BitMEX, everybody kind of knows BitMEX. And it's like 100 to 1 leverage. That's, wow, how are they getting away with this? Oh, and it's like, you know, they're... they're wow. 100, 100, 100 times leverage to non-KYC'd retail. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, you know, and the allegations that they hold up, they're, uh, they're pretty bad, right? So it's like they... Man, there was that the one... Uh, the the what was it the the Hayes was it Hayes Did, Arthur or, Hayes yeah that that is uh, alleged to have said that they moved the company to the Seychelles because it's can, easy to you can bribe regulators with coconuts yeah yeah you know and, and, and that I, wasn't apparently an alleged thing they they, they 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 that was in the DOJ not in the CFTC thing but the DOJ the DOJ said that yeah he said it they they said that that's something he said. There are, you know, until proven in court, it's allegedly, yeah. allegedly, allegedly, uh, right? So you go. got to sprinkle some allegedly on that. Sure, sure, uh, sure. So, you know, allegedly, if they said that, that's uh, that's pretty damning, right? And it's, 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 it just goes to show that it, it, they weren't careful about it, right? It's like, uh, they, they were apparently counseled on this, allegedly counseled on their uh, requirements. So they put up a facade, uh, put up a, a, a essentially IP block uh, so that U.S. customers can't jump on, but apparently they only checked your IP once. So if you used the VPN or somehow got on the network. Uh, I mean, they had 80,000 active US clients. Yeah, right, right. It's like, it, 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 like, like I said, open and notorious. So I've been sitting back again, I'm watching the industry. And, and one of the main reasons that I've been watching these for a long time is because you got to imagine from my perspective as an attorney counseling uh, and companies in this industry, generally being the bad guy, be, you know, having to be like, wow, you know, you really can't do that. Well, you really should know who your customers are. And you really, FinCEN is a thing, AML, BSA, got to do it. Sorry. Uh, and, and what I get all the time from customers and from clients is like, well, what about X company? 
What about that company? What about BitMEX? Why uh, they can do it? They can make a billion dollars. Why do I have to? Uh, you know, why do I have to do all these requirements? And like, you know, so I to a certain extent, it's kind of like, well, I'm I'm really excited to see where this goes because if finally I can call these clients up and be like, ah, ah, see, see, that's why I was that's what I was talking. But one of the interesting things that stood out to me in the CFTC ruling is that they defined the relevant period as November 2014 to present. So does that put anybody who was previously a violator but is now compliant at risk uh, if they've now cleaned up their act? Because my understanding is that BitMEX decided to add KYC like a couple of months ago, but for yeah, August, six yeah. years previous, prior was not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's your perspective there? Yeah, so first, I, so I, I, I feel compelled to say that the, the CFTC filed a complaint, right? So they, we don't have a final ruling there yet. We don't know right. where it's going to go. They, they, they are also going to, going to litigate this. It seems like BitMEX uh, doesn't, was not trying to play ball. You, you weren't going to get a settlement out of them uh, because these investigations have been going on for a while. Uh, yeah. And eventually, you know, the regulator says, like, hey, we're going to charge you. Do you want to settle? And BitMEX clearly said, no, we're not going to settle. So... I don't think that I don't think the fact that it goes back to 2014 it, it really has that big of an impact. It's just like you know this is when you started violating our regs, so we're going to charge you with all of right. it. Um, right. You right. really got to look at the statute of limitations and see where it fell with regard to when it was filed and whether there was a tolling agreement. Why? Because, like I said, the the, the CFTC has been investigating Bitmax, uh, you know, allegedly for a while. It's been reported, so. What what regulators would do is while they're investigating you, that in, they'll ask you, and you don't have to, but they'll generally ask you to sign a tolling agreement, meaning while we're investigating you, the t- statute of limitations isn't running, right? So that's why you'll see, you know, generally some of these violations have a five-year statute of limitations, and 2014 is clearly more than five years ago. So presumably there's a st- there's a tolling agreement in place or something so that the statute of limitations grows. Now, with regard to your question, you know, I you know I don't I don't know. I think I think if you have if you truly have a good actor, you know, think, I think, compare it to salt. Compare the CFTC's action uh, versus the SEC's action. Uh, I'm sorry, the CFTC's action against uh, Bitfinex. Bitmex, yeah. Bitmex, Bitmex. <laughs> <laughs> versus uh, the SEC on salt. Yeah. Versus the SEC on salt, right? So uh, on salt, it, I, like I mentioned earlier, like it seems like the SEC kind of worked with them, and they're not really trying to take them out, right? right. I think I think salt will see the other side of this at the same time it didn't seem like uh bitmax tried to play ball so the cftc is throwing the entire book at them like literally i don't know if there's a registration require, a regime that the cftc didn't say that bitmax violated uh it's that comprehensive the the charges there so and that that's just what happened so it it really it's a case-by-case analysis and and do, do you this is a big question here, so don't right. feel like you're compelled to answer. Would you have, if you were BitMEX's counsel, would you suggest that they try to settle or that they try to fight, you know, given, given kind of the allegations that you're seeing from the CFTC? I'm no, not holding it, you to this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that, that, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, you know, it, it, really, it really depends on what the CFTC was offering in, in return, right? Uh, were they offering uh, to not bring any charges, you know, let me keep, let them keep, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's a tough question to answer, right? It depends on, you know, did, I mean, would the DOJ and operate? CFTC be coordinated here? Like, could the CFTC say, Hey, the DOJ won't go after you if you cooperate with the CFTC or is that separate? It's, it's, it's separate. They do coordinate, right? It, 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 
it wouldn't be unfounded, but it's, it, they're, they're very separate entities right. and uh, one can bring charges with, without the other. Normally what you'll see is that if the DOJ brings charges, uh, you'll ask to stay the civil proceedings until you get done with the criminal, right? The ones right. that are, could put you behind bars and then you'll deal with civil. So here them both coming out means uh, BitMEX uh, did not get a settlement offer that they were down, that they wanted, right? So they, I don't know, it, it, I'd have to be, I want to be in the room where it happened for uh, all my Hamilton friends. Right, <laughs> like, right. You have to be in the room, yeah. So let's dive right into the next part of this, right? Which to me is the more, if I was BitMEX, scary thing, um, which is the, the DOJ charging, and this is, you know, quote, the founders and executives of offshore cryptocurrency derivatives exchange with violation of the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, and, and, you know, can you explain to me, you know, uh, what that means for the founders and executives of BitMEX? Um, and, you know, how do the ramifications of this differ from the CFTC ruling? And I think you said criminal versus civil is kind of at the lowest level, but we'd love to you, you to kind of dive in a little bit more. Yeah. So I just, I, you know, for quick uh, overview, the Bank Secrecy Act, is uh, the the act that kind of regulates financial institutions and says, hey, you have to know who your customer is, do KYC, and you have to have AML policies and procedures, anti-money laundering. Essentially, we don't want you uh, dealing with uh, with terrorists. We don't want you laundering money for bad guys. We don't want you dealing with sanctioned countries. You have, you know, if you're a financial institution, in especially in you're availing yourself to the U.S. Um, it's the U.S. customers and the U.S. kind of regime, then then you have to follow certain rules. So uh, violations are significant. And here, the the fact that, well, not the fact, the allegations are pretty egregious, right? It, it, so, you know, we have sanctions against uh, Iran, meaning you can't, uh, you can't transact or do business dealings with um, Iran generally and or certain individuals from Iran that are on the SDN list. Here, we have allegations that, not only were Iranians allowed to be on the platform, uh, the the individuals charged knowingly allowed them to. And in other words, they had conversations with Iranians that were trading on the platform. It's like, that's really bad, right? Uh, so the, the, this can get bad, right? Each one of the, they were charged, I think, with like two, two charges apiece. Each one carries a five-year minimum. I... You know, I'm gonna. If I was a betting man, which I clearly am, because I, I trade crypto, uh, <laughs> I, I'd say we, we're gonna see more charges. I, I, I wouldn't put it past the superseding uh, indictment here because it seems like this, this is really bad. They have a lot. You know, you have a lot of ent- agencies that have been doing investigations. They'll share some of the information. They'll see the charges filed, the, the complaints filed by each, and then they'll be like, "Well, actually, we, that's a violation of this. That's a violation of this code." So we might it might get it might get worse before it gets better for them. So I guess Bitmax needs a couple more coconuts. <laughs> they, well, no, I mean that's why they left the U.S. because yeah. you can't buy with coconuts. They need something better. They, yeah. Uh, I, so, so my quick question is just, you know, we've seen a lot of other. Uh, rulings outside of crypto, right? You know, against Wells Fargo, you know, there was no criminal charges. There were no criminal charges during the, you know, financial crisis. Um, and there have been plenty of other times where there, there are seemingly slightly more egregious violations, but that, that didn't bring criminal charges. But, you know, for, you know, failure to do KYC, you know, you're mentioning that there's, you know, you know potential minimum levels of imprisonment. Um, so I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on why you, what, what the difference you think is there, or if somebody has a grudge against these guys or crypto. Yeah. You know, um, 
And again, I'm, I'm not making a judgment call myself. I, I wasn't in the room. I'm just looking at the allegations and what we know of BitMEX, uh, just because they've, they have a relatively long history. I, I, I would disagree that their actions were, with your characterization, that they were less egregious than what we've seen in the... Um, you know, the financial crisis or these other companies, they, they were or pretty, Wells Fargo creating millions of fake, fake accounts. Yeah. yeah right. But, but, but who was, who was harmed there? You know, it's like, well, yes, yes. You, you, you've got some harm to investors and now they're paying up, right? Wells Fargo's, there was a class action. I think they're going to pay some money. Well, BitMEX, you know, there, there was allegations there that they, you know, there, there was a hack of another exchange or something. And they, they knew that the hack was the hackers were laundering the money, essentially making it untraceable or harder for law enforcement to trace right. through their platform, and they did nothing about it. Right. right? So it's like they have. There's a, allegations that there were some seriously bad, bad hombres, you know, right. doing some bad stuff on that platform, and they did nothing about it. So it's like they they were knowingly being bad about it. And the, the major difference, it seems like they didn't want to play ball or like make things right. They weren't right. trying to do something wrong. They weren't trying to act, do the right thing and just happened to get caught like doing the wrong thing or didn't follow a rule right. or something. Right, right, right. They were open and notorious, open and notoriously allegedly violating the rules, right? Because right. they, since. I mean, we've seen, I mean, we've seen some of them on Twitter just going out and saying dumb things too over the last oh few my years. God. Oh my God. But it was like, I think it was like 2013, 2014 that FinCEN said, hey, crypto, you still have to do AML. You have to right. do KYC. If you're doing exchanges in it, you essentially put the market on notice and they didn't do it. Everybody else was starting to come into, you know, begrudgingly come into compliance in the crypto space. You know, yeah, I mean, it, Binance you know, lost Binance US, FTX did right. FTX US, Bittrex, I think, separated out a couple entities. You know, yeah. Circle moved Poloniex out of the US to Bermuda and I think made exactly. stop. Yeah. So meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, allegedly uh bitmex just put up this facade saying like oh we're leaving the u.s but then when you actually you know dug a little deeper it turns out no actually it's very easy and they were letting their friends in didn't have to worry about it it's kind of like the the allegations against them do not paint them in in a very very any good light so yeah and i mean to to add to that you know speaking of the u.s multiple of the bitmex executives are also u.s citizens um Hmm. Arthur Hayes and Samuel Reed, both U.S. citizens. Samuel lives in the U.S., uh, lived yeah. in the U.S. since BitMEX launch. Arthur holds his shares in BitMEX in a Delaware LLC, and all of the banking is done in the U.S. Um, and so, you know, the, the DOJ press release even mentioned that Samuel already got arrested this morning. So, you know, what are the implications of the jurisdiction uh, of the individuals uh, on what will happen to them because there was one person I'm, I'm blanking on the, the name of who it was who wasn't a U.S. person. Um, from UK, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. do you expect uh, not can they be extradited? Do you expect them all to be extradited? And does it depend on whether or not they're a U.S. citizen? Um, and you know, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you expect yeah. to happen? Do you expect them to, to to to? I mean, is it more likely that that a U.S. person would be imprisoned? for this than, than a non-U.S. person. So I think the fact that that some of the, the, the leadership are U.S. citizens, just uh, it, it, it makes the jurisdictional arguments that much stronger. Uh, I think they're all in the same boat in the sense that they, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen. You just have to be uh, availing. You have to be doing transactions or somehow touching, allowing U.S. customers 
on your platform. I mean, they, must, they had Nexus in the U.S. You have to exactly. You have to have a Nexus, and it's it's so clear here that they all had a Nexus, and you know. It, it would be something different if really they did just, as soon as they found out they had to do AML, KYC, or somehow that they didn't want to deal with all the regulations in the U.S., if they really did everything in their power to like cut off the U.S., right? Obviously, there's technical and technological uh, impediments there because people can VPN. It's like, how effective is your VPN block? You do. Regulators are understanding to that, but they really want to see that you're trying to stop it. Right. This was not happening here, the, you know. They, at least not what the allegations are. So, the the jurisdictional argument here is strong. The fact that some of these are some of the individuals are U.S. citizens makes it stronger. I don't think that they're going to get a. a I don't think they're going to be off the hook because you know you have a U.K. citizen or something. You know, it's a. I think they're all they're all in deep deep trouble. So you know, my question is. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for crypto? Because in my mind, it's actually kind of a, a, a good thing. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, in crypto, we talk all the time about wanting to get a, uh, you know, wanting to get an ETF approved, right? And I think that, you know, having increasingly more volume on regulated exchanges is probably only a positive, especially we're seeing yeah. a lot of CFTC regulated derivatives exchanges um, that are now the CME is doing a tremendous amount of volume, right? Yeah. And BACT is now doing more volume. And, you know, we're seeing U.S. spot exchanges as well, you know, doing a lot of volume. So to me, I'm like, okay, maybe this is a positive. And also, like, I mean, and you as somebody who trades crypto would know this, like BitMEX has crashed the crypto market so many times yeah, because of yeah. all the all over leverage that exists in the system. You know, the fact that they've had times in the past where, like, they, they were creating a reference price, right? They were taking the, 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 the pricing from three different exchanges and one exchange is a liquid and all of a sudden the price was crashing, crashed on that exchange. So the reference price on BitMEX absolutely crashed. Like there have been problems with this, this platform right. before. And so, I mean, I, I'm wondering on what your overall thoughts are, both in the short term, but then also in the long term. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, so, so I, I, I think I agree with you. I, I, part of me is thinking like, wow, well, you know, they made it fun. You know, it's like, <laughs> where's, where's, they're, they're, the, they're the outlaws. And, but at the end of the day, I do believe in the space. I think that crypto has uh, tons of uh, potential to really change the way the, industry, the financial industry and bring in, do so much good. Um, but like going back to what I was saying, one of the things that a lot of my clients would, I would have a hard time advising them on what the rules are and what they should be doing because they would always be pointing to the BitMEXs of the world, the you know the others that are openly, notoriously not doing what the regulators are screaming that they should be doing. And are there still and, a lot of others, or have they decreased over time? You know, it's really just decreased. I think at this point, a lot of the industry. Uh, has, has has smartened up. They they've seen kind of the light. They they've seen that they could still do the change, or, or you know they can make the incremental changes to the industry that they want. It's just they're not just going to be able to bulldoze Wall Street, right? You can't just come and take out Wall Street and put a big Bitcoin right where, where Wall Street was. So I think so. I think this is going to make it easier for a lot of these companies to see it to realize like okay all this money we're spending on on compliance because it's a ton of money that these companies are spending on compliance and you have these companies that are spending zero right and it's like i can see i can definitely i can definitely understand why some of these companies would be like you know what if they're i'm not as bad as them so i'm gonna maybe not do all of that compliance work right because they're gonna go after them first 
well, now, now, now they've gone after them. So now you guys get better get in shape. And I think it's, it's only good. I think it's only good. And the, the, like you mentioned, like you've got the box, you've got the T zeros, you've got the, these, uh, these, these entities that are spending all this money on compliance and, and doing it right, getting the registrations. And meanwhile, you've got all the retail customers going to BitMEX because, you know, you, why not? Because it's cheaper. You get all access to all hundred to one leverage. You've got uh, perpetual swaps. You've got all these different, different uh, kind of uh, more fun products to, to play with. But there's serious money there, right? They're, they're, they, there's a lot of uh, serious issues that can come with it. And like you mentioned, BitMax has been uh, has been behind a lot of the crashes. I mean, for least- all intents and purposes, it was an unregulated casino. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I look if I if I could find a casino that would let me uh, take a hundred to one uh, <laughs> leverage, like that I would I would go there if I was a you know. So I think I think it's only I, I think it's a good thing. I uh, obviously I don't like. I, you know, I, we'll see where it, where it goes, right? I don't, I don't like laying claims because you know, obviously, these complaints, these uh, that are filed now, they're very one-sided, telling one side of the story, right? And it's like, what? Well, let's see what uh, what what the response is. Let's see. Um, I mean, Bitmax has side. a what a two billion dollar insurance fund that I've read that they're they're allegedly um, <laughs> able to use for legal defense, um, and so. I, I assume that they're not going down without a fight on either of these. Um, I mean, so, I mean, what, what will happen, you know, from, from just like a arrest perspective for, for is this going to be let out on bail kind of thing with, with Samuel Reed kind of thing? Is that, is that typically what happens here? And then do you think the civil or criminal matter will be set, settled for, or you think they're going to be in court for both at the same time? Oh, so actually that's an interesting point. So uh, I'll tackle them separately. So um, and, and I'm awful with names, so I, I have to go back and check. The, the, the individual that was retained, that's actually, uh, that was arrested. Samuel. So, it, Samuel. So, it, what, what, you know, so it, when they go to for bail, right, it, whether or not he's going to have to be in jail, the arguments are going to be like, well, are you a flight risk or are you a danger to your, you know, your community? I don't think he's going to, I don't think the government's going to say that he's a danger to his community. I think the government might make the argument that he's a flight risk, right? He's presumably has a quarter of a billion dollars, right? If they split it. Oh, evenly. more than that. I bet you have yeah. more than that. Yeah. I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see how many passports he has, how many uh, different, you know, how many, uh, he's you a citizen. Think, these guys have been taking big trading fees in BTC since yeah. 2014. So right. they got, they got a and, lot of and I remember the price of uh, BTC in 2014 as per, compared to now. So yeah. Bucks, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I I don't know I don't know where where that's gonna end, right? Whether he's a flight risk, and then he goes to a a country where no extradition, and then you've got another Snowden kind of situation where we're just kind of waiting around for them to make a mistake so we can get him. Uh, or and by we, I mean the U.S. government. Uh, so I, we'll see. So there is a potential that he's he remains under custody, but I, I arguably I, I'd say he gets out. Um, he didn't. Haunt, yeah, but we'll talk about it. Um, but with regard to the CFTC's case, I think that one, so criminal, just to end the criminal case, that's going to be a longer proceeding. We're going to have all the motions. We're going to, it's going to be a very time consuming. And, and, and that's arguably, and that's likely one of the reasons that they decided not to settle. They, they want to prolong this. Like, I'm not going to go to jail. If, if the government's offering you jail time as your only settlement, right? It's like, you've got to spend some time in jail and you've got a billion dollar piggy bank. 
it, you know, I could see somebody saying, let me, let me stay out of jail for the next three, four years until, while I fight this. Right. Uh, and then we'll see where it ends. I'll take, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll roll those dice. On the other side, the CFTC filed an injunction. Uh, they're, they're seeking an injunction, which is the same thing that the SEC saw for Telegram. And I don't know if you remember Telegram, the whole case only took about like eight months, right? Why? It was filed like October 2019, and we already have a decision on that. That's eight months is, is really, really fast. But that's because the, the CFTC is saying like, hey, court, can you please give us an order saying that they have to stop violating the laws, right? They're currently violating the laws. And the thing is like, for the court to issue an injunction, it's quick. They have to go quick. If they're going to stop you from doing something, uh, it's it, they have to move quickly, right? It's not like they're saying, oh, you did violate the law. Let's prove that you did that. It's like, no, you're actively, uh, the claim is you're actively violating our regulations and we need to stop you. So this is going to, the CFTC action is going to move quickly. And I, and as an attorney, that's kind of the exciting part because it's like, we don't have to wait years and years and years to so- get a decision. So a few questions that are just like on the top of my, my head. First one is, if they're filing for that, is there a way that they can shut down their operations just in the U.S. and they're going to be able to continue operating outside of the United States? And second question is, what, if any, claim do you think that they can make off of on either funds? Like if they know that there's an Iranian national or some other sort of funds that are operating on BitMEX uh, or even like uh, any funds and, and also like the insurance pool or any capital, like what, what can they actually go after here? Yeah. So the injunction initially is just going to be, Hey, stop violating the laws. Right. right. Um, so then, so then I'd have to dig in a little bit deeper as to what exactly they're requesting, but I think it's essentially saying stop violating U S laws. Right. Cause the CFTC doesn't have jurisdiction outside of the U S. Right. Um, so so I, presumably you can see in a situation where the injunction is narrowly drafted so that you have to stop servicing U.S. customers. And uh, but I, I just it's, it's going to be tough for a judge to do that effectively because uh, we've seen them not we've seen them put up the facade saying like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not serving U.S. customers. We're not you know, we're not serving them right now. Technically, at least that's what we're telling people. Um, but then they still doing it again. So I, I like, I'd like to see how it pans out. Again, all these things are kind of like negotiated case by case here. And it depends on how, how they can prove that they're, they're going to stop violating the law or, or until they fight this out right in the long term. So, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, there could be a scenario in which uh, the court says you can no longer service us customers until this whole thing plays out. But then it's how do you actually implement that? I, you know, it's with an entity like that. And then my second part was what can that they actually go after? What assets can they go after? Can they, can oh, they, oh, yeah. All, all, all of it. They're going after all of it. Including they, customers' or, funds? Or, well, so no, so no. So they're going to try to make the customers whole, right? They're going to try to, they, they def, they're definitely going to go after kind of like the profits, uh, the, they're going to want discouragement. They're going to want to go fines. And how are these individuals going to pay for all this? How is this entity going to pay for this? It's going to be that, that insurance fund. It's going to be all their bank accounts. It's going to be any properties in the U S that they have. Hey, they're going to go after, you know, it, this is serious. And per- personal assets of the founders as well. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the key to them being personally named. Right. It's right. like, well, right. you're not, we're not just charging the entity. We're charging you individuals. Right. Meaning, we're going after everything you've got. And, and if right. you, if you 
try to get slick and transfer some funds to a friend or something. We're going to try to get I mean, those if you two. looked at, if you looked at with Arthur, they also mentioned, they mentioned his specifically his holdings in some Delaware LLC that represent BitMEX and HDR global and whatever all hundred X group. They also mentioned his crypto holdings at a separate Hong Kong based entity as well. So, so they, I mean, they clearly, they, there was two clear and clear, you know, piles of, of, of capital they were going after. Well, and that's, and, and that's the thing. They want to make sure that when they do get a judgment that they're able to attach everything, right? They don't, they don't want these guys having a, a piggy bank. And uh, I don't know if you saw Shawshank Redemption. What's that, uh, that beach, Swat, Nehu, whatever. Right, 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 right. It's like, I'll meet you in Swat, Nehu, right? Once right, we're, we're right, done right, with right, all right. this. They're going to they're gonna find out about that. They're going to make sure that you, you know, that they pay to the extent that they're, they, they're found guilty, that they pay everything that they, they owe. Uh, and that's part of it. And, you know, this is not a new trick. Uh, companies always put up like shell companies and all this different, uh, these different corporate structures, all these different entities to try to like minimize the likelihood of them finding everything. I mean, the, and the great thing here, if you're a regulator, is it's easier to regulate crypto than it is to regulate the US dollar because it's easier to track. You can track all the deposits that have ever gone into BitMEX and the wallet addresses they're going to afterwards. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, tell that to the IRS with their battle with Monero right now. Right. What kind of crazy world are we living in? The IRS is saying, I'll give you a million dollars to crack Monero. That's uh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, we see so, yeah. it. We see it every day. I mean, like every other day, freaking. Uh, and I'm going to actually brings me to my next question as well. But but like every day we're seeing like chain analysis and another country, company get like another giant contract with uh, with governments to, to do this. Yeah. Is there? We are. I agree. That, yeah. That and <laughs> no. So, so my next question is, is on another company that works with governments, which is CypherTrace. Um, and yeah. so CypherTrace put out a report today. Funny enough. I mean, I, I don't know if they knew it was happening, but it just was really interesting timing that 56% of virtual asset service providers lack strong KYC practices and 81% of decentralized exchanges have little to no user verification. So uh, do you think that U.S. regulators are making an example of BitMEX so that these platforms change their practices? Or do you think this is just the beginning of the next wave of regulatory clampdowns, in, in particular on exchanges? You know, I, and I, I guess I feel... I, 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 I and maybe they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know if I want to say that they're making an example. I just think that, you know, BitMEX, to the extent that they were doing something, they're violating, violating rules, they were... Again, I keep going back to the same terms. They were pretty open and notorious about it. Right, I think right. so. Yeah, so I guess they would go. The regulator would go after the most open and notorious violators, and, to, and with the hopes that you know others that are actually trying to do the right thing, and they're you know others to have like straight arguments that you can make with a straight face, right? That's saying like, look, this is why we're different. This is right. why we don't fall in here. Like, let's talk. The regular saying, let's talk, but you can't just be out. This is not the wild, wild west. So I do think that, you know, this is definitely a sign. If I'm a market participant, if I'm an exchange, maybe uh, with some practices that are questionable, this may make me think twice, or at least this may make me call counsel uh, and be like, hey, man, should we should we be opening this dialogue with the regulator? And to be fair, generally as like enforcement counsel, I I'm always torn because I have a lot of clients that are like, well, do we go talk to the regulator? And the thing is, like, for a while, for a while, my I I generally said no because it, you you never got a yes out of them. You a lot of times got a no, 
And so it's like, what's the point? You know, it's like, what is the point? But re- recently, uh, personal experience and also anecdotal experience from other practitioners, I've heard that the regular is actually open for business in the sense that they really are trying. They are giving good answers. They're telling people, look, we're not going to come out and issue a no action letter because we're not really ready to take that position publicly. But to the extent that this gives you any comfort, you can, you can go ahead. I don't, you're not top priority. And to be fair, I've also had clients that I, you know, that the SEC was investigating, the CFTC was investigating them recently. Uh, to my, honestly, to my pleasant surprise, they've, uh, they've let them go. They, they've, they've actually said, we're not, we're not, we're not going to push, um, recommend charges. And it's against entities that I think. And that's a big deal saying we're not going to recommend charges. Huge deal. Huge deal. Because I've been in the space, you know, I've worked with these uh, regulars long enough to know that they much rather sit. They, they much rather just not, if they're investigating, yeah. they much not, not do anything because why would they take a position once they, they have this internal system that minute they said, they say not recommending charges that gets put into the system. So then if you have a, the same, you know, regulator for like, let's say it's an SEC, the New York office closes a case on you and then somebody files a complaint with you with the SEC in California or something, it'll pop up, be like, oh, they've already been investigated. They closed the case. I'm not going to open the case. It's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. It's, it's pretty rare that, for example, that EOS uh, got this $24 million settlement and that then you're going to hear about another SEC case related to that same topic. Now, I mean, that's, that, that's conclusive there. So to get that in writing, it's like, wow, okay. It just shows that the regular... And that goes back to the, how we started this, right? It's, there really is a carrot. They're saying we're open for business, but look, we're also carrying this ginormous stick, and we're we're okay beating everybody over the head with it if we have to. So I think you know, I think it's it's an interesting times, but I think it's also a good thing. I think it's also a good transition into our to our next question. So this was a crowdsourced one from one of our good friends, uh, Nate Whitehill, who's the CEO of CryptoSlate. And I think given our conversation, I already know your answer, but um, <laughs> you know, the first is just. You know, what do you think the chances are that Binance gets the same treatment as BitMEX? Because it's clear that this is something that they were doing a few years ago. But now that they now they've launched, uh, you know, Binance US uh, and are complying with all, all regulations. Um, and so my, my initial thought is your answer is going to be, you know, they're trying to do the right thing and the regulators are going to see that. Um, but do you think that they could still be liable for what happened before? Or do you think it's likely? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's I, you know, I think at this point, it's as likely that Binance is going to rule the world in five years as, yeah, they, as it's likely that they're going to be the next BitMEX, right? It's, uh, Binance is, uh, it's really interesting, right? Because I think like initially in, at the start, they were right there with BitMEX, where with all these uh, different stories about how all this wash trading, about all you know, all their volume is fake, how they're doing all these shady practices. But all of a sudden, I don't know when it happened, but now they're like a legit company. They're really buying by Binance US. They it seemed like they were doing everything right. They uh, they opened opened up shop only in the states where they had uh, money service business licenses that they were you know rolling. They're going rolling a state at a time now. A I state mean, at a time. It's like seems like they're doing everything right. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the regulator has the appetite. I really, I, and I'm not, I'm not like, a, I, I understand that the industry and the regulators don't always get along. And I just sit in the middle, really. Um, I, I think that the regulator really is trying to do 
the right thing, not trying to kill the industry. If you if you don't believe me, look at they they bent over backwards, I think, to not take out Ethereum Ether, right? Yeah, uh, we could that's maybe a discussion for another time. But they they really are trying here. So I, you know, to the extent that Binance is doing things right, that you know, liability never goes away. And it's funny, a lot of my clients because they're like business people. Uh, it's always funny to me because like you know, I'll present them with, hey, here's your risk, here's the decisions, and then a lot of sometimes they'll take the risk, right? But the minute they take that affirmative action, it's like it's it's gone. So when the regular comes calling, they're like, "What the? Hell? You know what the hell? I didn't." And it's like, "Well, remember when you decided to take that risk? This is uh, this is the result." So, so to your point, to your question, no, it, just because they're doing the right thing now does not mean that the risk or the the, the liability that they've accrued in the past goes away. The question is, what's the regulator's appetite here? It, you know, it, it, are they going to hit them with a with a minuscule fine like they did with EOS, or are they going to bring criminal charges and trying to lock some people up? Right. I, you know, so I think they're to the extent, you know, they would be somewhere in the, in, in the former right, at and, this point. And Nate, Nate's follow-up was very similar, but just, you know, what do you think the chances are that the feds go after a, a company like Bitfinex? And I think that's probably a similar answer. Um, but as well as, and, and I know we want to hit on this at the end, but like Uniswap and a decentralized exchange, uh, you oh, know where there yeah. there is no KYC. Yeah, so I'm gonna tackle the easier one first. Bitfinex, Bitfinex, man. Uh, so they've uh, they were the original bad boys of the crypto, right? Uh, so them and Tether. So the thing is, like, uh, Bitfinex is already in kind of. And what's going on with the NYDFS and Tether? Do you have any insight there? Oh, gee, well, NYDFS and Tether, I no. So I, I well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're referring to. So I know New York Attorney General is investigating NYAG. Uh, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they're investigating uh, Bitfinex and Tether, and this has been. It's almost funny to watch because Years, t- t- yeah. yeah, but Bitfinex and Tether, they're just uh, the council is really buying them time. Like they're just not abiding by these. Uh, they don't want to produce documents. Feels like they they're 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 printing money faster than the Federal Reserve too, with all the amount of new capital <laughs> that's flowing into uh, stablecoins. Yeah, the only difference is I'm not making more money when they when the Federal Reserve prints, but whenever they pump Bitcoin, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I appreciate take it. that. I'll take, I'll take it. it. Yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to mind. So yeah, so I, you know they they're dealing with the uh, class action, claiming that they 1.4 trillion in damages that they have to deal with. They're dealing with the New York AG. There's other regulators. I think you know I I think the, the I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna forego a federal action. I think that the feds are waiting in the sidelines, seeing what let's let them develop the case. Let's let all these other lawsuits because the, the the public record and the then the feds just have to come in and be like, oh, well, here's your deposition from here. Here's what your public statements here. Here's, here's my case. You've made my case. So, um, so I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that there, there, there wouldn't be a charge there, but I think Bitfinex is already dealing with a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of stuff. So with regard to your second part of that question, that's a, that's a, that's a good one, right? What, what is this? What is this DeFi? All this, all this groundwork that the regulars are laying for, uh, for the industry, and the industry says, eh, we're just going to decentralize everything. Nobody's in control. Pure anarchy. Like, what is your finance? Like, I, you know, I, I, I have a group of investing buddies, and we're all attorneys, right? And in, in crypto, and, and I could show you, like, the, for the past week, and well, I haven't, but most of my buddies have already invested in, like, yearn. They're like, what is this? They can't figure it out, right? It's all this de- decentralized finance. What? So, what are the regulators going to do about that? It 
And that's a good question. I, I think, again, just like crypto kind of caught regulators a little flat-footed, I think same thing with DeFi. I have a theory here, and I will, it's going to take time to play out, but I want to mark it here. On October 1st, 2020, I went public saying that the CFTC is building case law through its spoofing charges uh, so that it can go after the developers of code that violates their rules. I know your follow-up is going to be like, what are you talking about, George? What I'm talking about is that, so spoofing, it's, it's this. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but the listeners don't. So why don't okay. you fill us in? <laughs> so spoof, so the CFTC says that spoofing is against its regulations. Spoofing is when you place an order without the intent to actually execute on that order. Um, and this has been something that traders do a lot, you know, historically, because it shows them the, the depth of the order book, right? So it's like, wow, if I place an order and I remove it, right? How far, whatever, it gives them information. And that, we that saw matters. just this week, you know, JP Morgan getting fined $920 million for spoofing. Right, right. It's, so they're, they're telling the market, this is, this is a big deal. We're, we're taking this seriously. Uh, and I, so I've, I've had spoofing cases going all the way back to like 2017. And I think the, the rule came out 2014. So it's like, I was, I've been in it for a while. So I've been following this. Interestingly, what happened, the first criminal case against a spoofer was the Kosha case. And he, you know, he's been indicted. He's, he's doing time and he caused the flash crash. I, yeah, he caused the flash crash. But this, the DOJ and what's interesting, DOJ and CFTC then pursued an action against the developer uh, who created this program through, that allowed him to spoof the market so effectively. The DOJ's case fell apart. They, they hung juries twice. They decided that you know the jury came out and said it was like 10-2, only two wanted to prosecute, 10 wanted to quit. So the DOJ said, we're not going for criminal charges, right? But just uh, August, this as CFTC got a settlement with with Thacker, the, the development company or developer, and I'm, I don't know if they got it with the company or the um, developer. Essentially, saying like, "Hey, here, we'll give you all the money that we we got from the we got we were paid plus a fine. We did bad. So again, like we were saying for everything else, settlements don't have the weight of law uh, of actual precedent behind them." But it shows you where the mind of the regulator is, and here that I think that the regu- that the CFTC is building this case law, saying, "You developer, don't DeFi. You're you're not you're not you're not pulling the wool over us. We're going to go after the person who created that code, and that person going to be liable for those rule violations. You can ask the founder of, of Ether Delta, how, you know what he thinks about that. Uh, you can uh, you know I think this is what's going to happen. So. Where's DeFi going? I don't know. It's it's complicated. I get asked about it every day. Uh, but uh, and, I, and I and I feel like there's going to be a tremendous number of complaints once these platforms inevitably get hacked, um, and mm-hmm. and other nonsense goes on there. And I I mean I always just worry. I mean this is a whole another rabbit hole. We definitely don't need to go down it. But just like the amount of Ethereum that's locked in DeFi now, and what if these oh things gosh. get hacked and uh, you know develop and, and you know some hackers steal a billion in, D, in, in ETH and then they crash the ETH market? I mean, there's so many pieces of the puzzle here that you know you know you pull out that Jenga piece and the entire thing comes crumbling down. And I just yeah. you know one, I mean, I know for a fact regulators are looking at DeFi because if you go on any like Sam, if you go on Sam and you look at government contracts. They're looking for people to help them understand what's going on in tracking DeFi. So they're certainly not ignorant to this. And I think it'd be impossible to be. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I think, well, but... I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think anybody who's just, you know, just spinning up a DeFi protocol, like, you know, hamburger, sushi, you know, whatever, you yeah. know, <laughs> swap, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't feel too confident if I was the person developing that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because at the same time, I think DeFi does have some good applications. And I think if you develop it right and, and, and if you think through what the regular is going to be concerned about and you make sure that you you build in some safety. I mean, we, we said earlier, Cypher Trace at 81% weren't doing any user verification. So if you do some, right? Uh, if you do some, you're, you're, you're already within uh, the minority and the regular is too busy with the, with the open and notorious entity. So... You know, it's I, it's this is why I got into crypto, and this is why I'm still in crypto, and this is why I will remain in crypto. It's because it makes my job fun. It it's, it's presents really tough questions. It makes you question everything. Like, when was the last time you thought about what money is? Right? Like, are crypto kitties money? Well, yeah, it turns out yes. You know, it's like it just it turns everything on its head. Makes you think about every assumption that you've made in the past, and it's like I'm gonna be here, and I'm gonna be rooting on the industry even when I'm you know, uh, even when I'm old and, you know, I'm telling my kids not to, not to put their money on your, in your, cause nobody knows what the hell it is. <laughs> <laughs> so and we hit on this before, but I, I think, I think, I think we can move on for BitMEX. I think I've hit on all the questions. If anybody else has additional questions on BitMEX, you know, I'll put in the, uh, in the description, how you can, can reach out, uh, to George. Um, but, but, but moving on from exchanges, um, you know, a big story that we hit on very briefly was this salt lending and we hit on the 47 million dollar ico uh for the you know the the uh for condu- conducting uh you know a security sale or an un- unregistered security Registered. sale um you know what do you think um like how what do you think the implications of this are for sales going forward but also for other sales that have happened in the past yeah. So, you know, and I've, I've thought about this for a while. So um, I think, I think the, the case law is pretty subtle. I think, I think the, what happens with ICOs or can you issue a token in order to raise funds to build a platform without registering it? No, I think that's pretty subtle. Uh, I think, I think with regard to what's happened in the past, one thing that's one theory that I have, that's pretty interesting that we haven't seen play out yet comes out of the telegram case where, you know, the ruling there was that, uh, SAPT investors are statutory underwriters. Therefore, they're actually participants in the distribution, right? So the distribution doesn't end until they sell their tokens, which if you're dealing with a five-year statute of limitations, when does the clock start ticking, right? So does that mean that now if you sold your token pursuant to a SAFT, that the statute of limitations, when, when does that five years, you know, if you sold your token in 2015 pursuant to a SAFT, which nobody did because the SAFT wasn't around, but do you, are you safe right now? I think there's an argument that you're not. I think there's a, that the regular might say like, no, actually, because this one per- SAF participant didn't sell his tokens until all of his tokens until 2016, I've still got time. So I don't think anybody's uh, in the clear yet. I, I think that there's just long statute of limitations there. And at any point, the regular come knocking. The token offerings, I think we're pretty clear. The, 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 the rules are kind of set there, and I think there are ways to um, to do them. And I think that's one of the reasons that the SEC came out with this no action relief saying, like, look, you want to issue a token? Issue a security token on an ATS. Let's play ball. We're, this is not the wild, wild west. You know, here's here. this is the route. We're going to come after you if you did it this way. 
And do you think that, and, and this is completely freaking hypothetical, right? But there have been discussions about, about changing the definition of accredited investors. And so do you think that if that definition changes, right, and anybody can be an accredited investor, right? And, and I know they just extended it. So if you have, I think, a Series 7 or Series 63, you yeah, count yeah. under that definition and there's, you know, whatever, a few, different, a few different kind of exceptions. But hypothetically, if the SEC removed any sort of definition around accredited investor, would that open up a can of wormholes again for, for token issuers to just go out there and have a field day? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I like the question. I want to, I want to buy into it, but I just don't think that it ever happened, right? Because the right. reason that, so the regular, it, it, the SEC, like again, they, uh, they're there to protect the retail investors, and the right. reason that uh, accredited investors are able to invest in what would arguably be called riskier investments is because they presumably are either they're sophisticated. What does that mean? Sophisticated, really by the previous definition prior to these new amendments that just took, took effect, it just meant that you had a lot of money, right. essentially. You, you, you had the money to lose and you'll be fine. So now they've, they've uh, broadened the definition to include like, oh, you can be sophisticated because you're smart too. Um, so you, you too can take on this additional risk. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where the SEC says, well, you know, play ball. Everybody, right. go ahead and just invest, right? right? They they still have to re- they have to protect what they they refer to as a retail investor. Um, if, if and you could think of them as like if you're calling a credit investor sophisticated, I guess they would call them unsophisticated, right? Right. Um, they have to protect the unsophisticated investors from being preyed upon by, um, by you know by predators. And and so I guess I don't really have any you know separate questions around kick because I feel like we've covered that throughout this discussion, but. Um, one thing that was, you know, kind of a, a big deal and is starting to come back as initial exchange offerings. And do you just view that these things are going to get ruled on the exact same way that ICOs are? ICOs, man. Um, that's funny. Cause so when the ICO craze is dying down, everybody's either doing a SAFT or everybody's calling and be like, Hey, you doing IEOs? And I just, I, I never understood why exchanges got behind it. I called all my friends that were at exchange. I'm like, how are you guys getting, feeling getting finance is act- actively doing them. Um, finance launchpad, I think actually during our discussion may have just, I think I just got an alert, may have added another, uh, another token. SIGDEV guys get SIGDEV. I'm going to do a plug. I know Flamingo, it's not even my product. Flamingo <laughs> finance. Yeah. Is it, but is it, is it allowed in the U S or is it, uh, in Binance international? Oh, this was last week that they did it as an update. Uh, not, not in the U S not in the U S. Well, that's the thing, right? So I think what's happening is that the, you know, they, they, these these offerings are happening outside of the U.S., which is what, one of the main arguments as to uh, that's pushing all this new regulation within the U.S. or like this, this huge push like, hey, U.S. regulators, stop being so hard on the industry because everything's just going to move abroad. And I think that's what's happening, right, with these IEOs that the, the exchanges are doing them and they're blocking U.S. customers. Now, you always have the risk of like, well, is somebody is somebody from the U.S. VPNing into your exchange, and are are you somehow going to avail yourself to the U.S. Um, jurisdiction? You know, I think that's a very real, uh, very real concern that should be thought through, and I think that the exchanges take a large risk uh, by doing these because essentially they're saying like, hey, issuer come to us, we'll issue your token. We'll do the KYC. We'll make sure that all the customers meet the requirements. And, you know, this is a perk and it's everybody's chasing that almighty dollar peso 
uh, you know, fiat or crypto, right? They're, they're just trying to get the volume on their exchange. And it's like, well, be careful what, how you chase it. And I think that, you know, if you can do it outside, and obviously I'm only speaking about U.S. Uh, laws, I, the whole world has its own laws and regulations. So if you do them outside the U.S., really, then yeah, go ahead. You won't have to worry about the U.S. regulators. But IEOs, are, I think if you bring them to the U.S., they'll, have to, they'll be the exact same thing as ICOs, just worse because now you've got exchanges that have presumably deeper pockets. Yeah, and deeper pockets, you're going to have more class actions going after them. It's like, you know, because right now you have all these class actions going after token issuers that have no money. It's like, you know, it's like, there's going to be nothing to, to go after. But. And, and so I got a couple other crowdsource questions here. Uh, and we can just, we can go on them quick. Uh, from Colin Post, um, who said, wait, I want to quote what Colin Post said. He said, and I quote, George is dope. So uh, <laughs> Colin's a big fan of yours. All so right, thanks, uh, Colin. Colin, Colin wanted to, uh, to know about the new bills in the House, uh, the Securities uh, Clarity Act, and the Digital Commodity Exchange Act, um, whether you had any thoughts uh, on those specifically. I actually do, and I and now I feel like a jerk saying this because Colin says Colin thinks you're dope, yeah. I know, geez, now he's going to be like, that guy's a jerk. So it's funny because I- I was going to think I, you're a dope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so I, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told my other friend that uh, when he reached out, he was like, yeah, you heard about the bills? And I was like, so all I did is I sent them the link to the video, um, the schoolhouse rock, how a bill becomes a law. And it's like, <laughs> you're, you're at the first step. Let's, let's wait to get excited until we get um, uh, a little further down that road. And, the, and the, the reason I'm so cynical about this, and I don't know what this says about me, but in law school, uh, I was really interested in insider trading laws <laughs> and how they developed. So I, I literally wrote a note, a note on this where I did way too much research on it and I tracked insider trading laws. Because my whole thing is like, why can't we just define insider trading? Why does it have to be prosecuted under like a general fraud statute, right? Like, you, I think that could be separate. I think we, right. all know, we all have an idea of what insider trading right. is. Why, why can't we just codify that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they, they, they've had many opportunities to do so and Congress has been behind uh, the push to codify it. And the SEC always comes in and says, we don't want to codify it. We like prosecuting under this broad anti-fraud because it gives us the, the ability to adapt our laws to ever-changing schemes, right? And I think they're going to make the exact same argument for crypto that they did for insider trading that they've done for everyone. You know, it's not the first time that people are screaming like, why are you applying these 80-year-old laws to this brand new industry? You know, if, 30 years ago, they were saying, why are you applying these 50-year-old laws to this, you know, I brand mean, new... Kick, Kick's ruling today was based off the three prongs of the Howey test, being a security. Okay. So. Exactly. I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's time-tested. Um, and you know, I don't think the SEC wants to change it. The SEC works... It, we can see... Whether you agree with them or not, with the way they've been developing case law... Oh, within the crypto industry, you could tell that they've taken a very measured approach um, and they're thinking through everything. I don't think they want to change that. I think, I think they're going to fight to not change that. And just really quick thing that you brought up there, you actually mentioned insider trading and it exists in crypto. Um, and to say but that they're not securities, but they're not securities. <laughs> so, so, Sorry, go ahead. so yeah. So my question is, yeah, if it's not a security, does it matter? Um, yeah. And, like, what, 
is are do you think that anybody cares yet? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think I think well, I think Coinbase would tell you that people care, and so I think what happened. Remember with the uh, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Cash, right? That there was like this lawsuit in California, and it was and uh, the claim there that wasn't that there was insider trading, right? And the, the claim was that the employees at Coinbase had information about when Coinbase was gonna. Uh, but that is uh, insider trading in a way, right? But you're it's, saying but there's a broad it's, definition now, right? So right, but insider trading is prosecuted under the securities laws, right? So right, if you're not dealing right. with security, then that right. won't apply. So that case was brought under like unfair practices act, right? right. Meaning you have an unfair advantage uh, over me, right? It, it, so that's that's unfair. So right, that's how they they tackled it there. So yeah, there's still liability. I may not be called insider trading, uh, but it's still unfair. Yeah. To some, <laughs> it's it certainly yeah. happens. I mean, to, to hey, oh yeah. oh gosh, yeah. I mean, you you've heard of all the uh, all the Telegram groups where the pump and dumps. It's like you know we're gonna pick a uh, what's the what's the legal term? We're gonna pick a shit coin to pump this time. And I then mean, we, all we dump. see it we see it happening in our data every single day because one of the things that we do is we track every single major significant crypto development in real time. And there mm-hmm. are times where we know we're the first person outside of the company that knows about it just from crawling their documentation and the price has already moved before we picked it up. Uh, well, look, I, I, I'm telling you, I think that made me money today just because I, you know, I got the alert that uh, the BitMEX uh, action came out, dumped my, you know, it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to wait until it like, uh, you know, bottoms out. So yeah, be, yeah, right. The industry's moving so fast. Everybody's got a little bit of an edge A new tokens coming out every time. It's, uh, it's crazy times. And so it's like, having the information faster than others. Yeah, I could see how you would think sometimes you're insider trading or, you know, so I've got SIGDA. <laughs> and, and, and so another question from Colin, and this is really my last question. Uh, he just wanted to know your thoughts on uh, all these OCC rulings, um, you know, the, uh, you know, ruling that, you know, federally chartered banks and thrifts may provide custody services for crypto. And I think, you know, there was a couple others before then. Um, and so what are your, what are your thoughts? What does this mean? What are the implications? Yeah, look, I, I, am a big fan of Brian Brooks, uh, former coin, uh, Coinbase GC. Now the, uh, commissioner of the OCC, he's, he's, he's really pushing the industry forward. I think that these rules are kind of, I take them more uh, symbolic in the sense that at the moment they're symbolic and saying that industry players, you know, you should really be looking at this industry we're going to make the rules better for you, easier for you to get into it. Um, so I think that's what's happening right now. The question is, who's actually going to do it? It, it? We're not seeing a bunch of bank, you know, JP Morgan's. We're not seeing the Wells Fargo being like, oh, my God, we can custody crypto. Let's do it. Right. That hasn't happened. No. And, and, and you know, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of states pushing back, a lot of regulators pushing back on the OCC saying like, well, you don't even have authority to do that. It's kind of like, so there's going to be a little bit of fight. I always want to see the industry progress. So I, I like what he's and doing. And the OCC is also, it's a presidential appointee, isn't it? So, it's so I wonder, I wonder what happens in the next election cycle too, if there's any, any change. Yeah. There. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I get that question a lot because one of the things that's happening now is right. We're uh, in an election year. So what's going to happen to crypto legislation or, you know, which party's more favorable? I honestly think the parties have so much more to deal with that they're not really focused on this. And I'm not, I don't know if there's going to be a major difference. I think that all crypto has to do is just. We should have had Andrew Yang. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. He'll go, everybody gets a thousand dollars in crypto every month. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Everybody, you get every, everybody gets a free Wi-Fi airdrop. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I think the industry, and I, I've said this before, just the industry has to keep um, maturing, has to stay, stick around. And, and eventually it's going to be mainstream, but it's a, it's a long, long way ahead. I think it developed in a very weird way because of the ICOs. All of a sudden, all these companies that otherwise would have been knocking at the door of like the Amazons, the, the Googles, the, uh, all these power, money, all these wealthy companies be like, hey, look, I've got this great technology. Let me, let's integrate. Uh, all these companies got these millions of dollars and they developed the industry that way. And now it's like, that's going away. So what's going to happen? And I think that's, that's where we're at are now. It's like, we're kind of, the industry is saying like, we can, we're not just, we're not just, you know, we're not just a program or tech in the background. We are an industry, but let's just see it. And so actually last final fun question, I've been asking this to all of our guests is, if you could join as an advisor to any company that's either directly in crypto, that's touching crypto, or that could potentially touch crypto, uh, what company would it be and why? Oh, that is a fun one. You're not finance. I just want to know what the fuck that is. You know, <laughs> what, 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 Somebody please like, send George an email and explain what Wi-Fi is. Yeah, and I, like, I, you know, and it's like, I, I, I've read it, but it's like a derivative on a derivative on a derivative. And it's like, I, okay, uh, let me just, can I get a diagram? Somebody with a diagram. I'm, I'm, I, I like to see things. So that's what I would join. That, I think that's, that's <laughs> just to know what it does. Just to, just to know. Yeah, what it does. you know, it's so interesting, and there's, you know, how I, I, I feel like it wants to be the Berkshire Hathaways of crypto with its thirty thousand dollar per token. What? Come on now, thirty thousand dollars per token. Could have got out of here. You know. Yeah, there's gonna be Wi-Fi A shares and B shares before we know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No splits ever. You know. It's a, uh, so it's fun. It's fun times, but that's where I would want to go. Cause I want to know where the industry is going and it seems like that's where it's going. Cool. So I really appreciate you having you, having you on. Can you just let everybody know where they can find out more about you, where they can contact you, where they can find out more about Crowell and, and what you guys do in crypto? Yeah, look, I, George, the name is George Pesach. It's, uh, it's misspelled. So it's J O R G E. Talk to my parents. Uh, but just hey, hit me up on LinkedIn. You know, I, I'm not really the Twitter guy. I've got a bunch of kids. I've got a a busy schedule. I appreciate Twitter attorneys that put out all the news, but I just, I, I just can't do it. But LinkedIn, you know, I, I said this before on my podcast and I've actually had people reach out and I, I love it. And it's like, just reach out if you have questions, if you, if you enjoyed the talk and you, or you want to follow up, I love talking about this. Um, I don't have to bill you for it, but if you've got money and you want to, and you want me to bill you, I will. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm just happy to talk about it, but just hit me up on LinkedIn or go to my page on pro, send me an email. I'm happy to chat. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate this. And I, I, I hope this isn't the, the last time I get to pick your brain on this stuff because I, I, I want to have a recurring every time something crazy happens, let's pick George's brain over a beer segment. So there you go. There you go. I'm happy to have it. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait until the next whirlwind week happens. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks so much. Lot.